redeemed. They are forever fixed in their state, but they are, they are curious. They're curious about the acts of redemption and, and curious about what God has done. And certainly, certainly, what, a, what an amazing thought. Thank you so much. <coughs> Thank you so much, sis. To all our uh, young folks, our uh, elementary, middle school, you can be dismissed toward the back there, toward your place. Amen. Amen. So much, so much to be thankful for, so much we're appreciative of. And, uh, you know, whenever we sing about the cross and sing about Christ's precious blood and all, I'm, all, I'm always, almost always tempted, almost always tempted to go, all right, let's just start testifying. And uh, so I know that messes up a service, order of, ser- uh, order of service, but um, I'm always. And we, we ought to do what? We ought to, man, thank the Lord for what he did for us. Thank the Lord for his precious blood. And uh, some of you have never, uh, uh, some of us don't know each other's testimonies. And, you know, some of you were saved in a church. Some of you were saved at home. Some of you were saved in saved different places and different, uh, different people led you to Christ and all these kind of things. And so, and so uh, maybe, maybe, soon, maybe soon we'll do that. I'll, I'll just abbreviate something. We'll take a, we'll take a good bit of time and just, uh, just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord together. I think uh, be appropriate, and uh, and I'm uh, I'm excited excited to want to do that, especially especially now. If the church can't, if the church assembled can't thank the Lord for his uh, his crucifixion, his resurrection, we're just in a mess, aren't we? If we're too stuck, anybody? Am I the only one here? And uh, so I hope you do. Luke 22, Luke 22, verse one. Luke 22, verse one. Maybe a familiar passage to some of you. Maybe very unfamiliar. And we're going to find out there's a, just an amazing amount of stuff, or a drama rather, in, in these uh, six verses. We're on the road to Easter, and so I want to look at these. Luke 22, verse 1. Uh, if you're willing and able, just one more time, let's pay honor to God and His Word. Verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Galileans uh, started kind of the night before the Judeans would start. If you're looking and you see in John, you see in, uh, see in Matthew, you go, I don't, I don't quite follow what's, uh, what's going on here. The timing, the timing is if you're looking at it from a Judean perspective or a Galilean. But uh, they start doing this, which is called the Passover. And occasionally they would call all of this the same thing. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, but they feared the people. The only thing between them in murderous intent and murderous in murderous, uh, uh, murderous intent and murderous accomplishment was the fact they thought we don't have the support of the people. They've been upset with Jesus for quite some time. Verse 3, the wrong time and the wrong place. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. There's a couple of, couple of three Judases in the scripture. This is one of them. He has been part of the number of the twelve. He has been with Jesus since the beginning, or since the start of his ministry. And we have this shocking statement, verse 4. He went his way, communed, strategized, plotted. Uh, you can even say contracted with the chief priest and the captains. The word there is a, only used once. The same word we get strategy from. Uh, these were either administrators or they were leaders, but these were the ones who had the decision. Weirdly, these were probably Levites, how that he might betray him unto him. 
Verse 5, they were glad and they celebrated and covenanted to give him money. We know it's 30 pieces of silver. Verse 6, and he promised. Sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. I can give you what you want. And Judas here makes the most tragic decision we'll see recorded probably in most of the scripture, if not all the scripture. Would you pray with me right now? Father, work on our hearts. Help us. Help me to preach your word with power and authority. I pray you get honor and glory from these moments. I pray you'd help us. Help us to see <clears throat> help us to see the unseen realm, as Michael Eisner would put it. Help us to see what you're trying to teach us here and help us to help us to understand, Lord, even if we cannot empathize and get the lessons you would have for us this morning. And I pray your word go out with power and authority. I pray, Father, those who watch this, I pray that they would see, hear, and obey. And I ask all this in your son's wonderful name, and amen. You can be seated, be seated. Let me just wake us up just for a hair this morning. If I say a word or a phrase, can you give me a word that you think of kind of immediately? I'll start over here. If I say peanut butter, what's coming back? Jelly. All right, jelly. Those of you who didn't say jelly, you're communist. You can leave. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> if I if I say chocolate, anybody over here? Chocolate grams, that's acceptable, acceptable. Child of the seventies was going to say chocolate and peanut butter. There we go. All right, y'all can stay. You're iffy. Yeah, chocolate. I say chocolate and peanut butter. Chocolate peanut butter. If I say if I say Tennessee, Whoever said moonshine, you can stay, but we'll pray for you. And, uh, yeah, and so, yeah. So some of you said, some of you, yeah, you said, you said sports or, volunt or the vols or whatever. And one of you wanted to say Rocky Top, but you thought that's two words. That's two words. We say some things, and we get an immediate reaction, don't we? They think get an immediate reaction. If I say Judas, what comes to mind? Traitor. Traitor. If you were going to give me a verb, what would you give me? Treacherous, treacherous. You're in the advanced class. I was going to ask for an adverb in a minute. And you got me, yeah, treacherous. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, betrayal. Yeah, betrayal, yeah. All, all those words, all those, yeah, yeah. You just, thank you for getting ahead of me. So. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll move faster, Brother Glassby. And, uh, and so, yeah, all of these things, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Nobody's going to name their kid this. I mean, it's, you know, it's just even to today. And we find in the little synopsis that Luke gives us here, the doctor, we see what I, I can call, I called last week his house, this week his betrayal. It's hard, it's hard for me to preach. I like to empathize with whatever's going on. I like to try and get a little ahead of it. I seem like I do better, but I have a hard time empathizing here. I sympathize at the end because Judas gets everything he wants and then figures out he doesn't want anything he's got. But in the midst of all this, I mean, it is just packed, I said earlier, with drama. I wonder, have you ever been betrayed? That's the human conditions to be hurt and be offended, right? You ever been betrayed and you didn't see it coming? That's even worse, isn't it? Have you ever been the one who was used to be the traitor? <laughs> Ugh. And you did it. You did it, and now you got the guilt and the shame, and then you've lost the relationship. And then probably the worst one, you were used by a third party, 
and manipulated, and you ended up being the one with all the blood on your hand, but you didn't ever see it coming, so there was a double, a double betrayal. Jesus is here. Jesus is, is walking forward, and it's Passover time. It's Passover. We're thinking back to Exodus chapter 12, where, 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 where Moses is about to lead the children of Israel, and God institutes the Passover. And the, the, the Israelites have been celebrating it ever since, ever since. In particular, they're talking about the Paschal Lamb there. And that lamb was to be spotless and, and completely clean. And they were to not break a bone of his body, fulfilling the type there that was to come, that Jesus, when he was crucified, not a bone of his body was broken. And this was to be, this last Passover now would be the final fulfillment of all those hundreds of years to this point. And we jump in and we see the betrayal. And I want to just, if I can, I want to just do two things. I want to I give you kind of the lead up, and then I want to give you some lessons. Can I do that? I want to give you the lead up and some lessons. Let, 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 me, let me do that. Let me do it. Number one, <coughs> you see the Passover here. They're in, again, the Galileans and Judeans. So one's going to start a little earlier. One's going to start the next day. It's, a, it's how they do time. It's how they do time. Again, a day starts when the, the day starts basically at sundown for them. And so some of them do it here, some of them do it there. Again, if you're looking in your scripture and you're getting a little confused. But Jesus is here. He has had the hosannas. He has had all the praise. And now they've come and you have all this subterfuge that is going on. And they're having this meal together. We'll join that meal in John 13 in a little bit. They're, they're having this meal. And Peter and Peter's at one place and Judas is at the other. And they're sitting and leaning, reclining. They're in a semicircle, a kind of a setup that's there. Jesus is at the head. And in the position of honor and priority is Judas Iscariot, the one who is trying desperately to betray him. And you have this man here in the high holy feast. Thousands and thousands of Jewish men have descended upon Jerusalem. It is the complete antipathy or antithesis of trying to do things and get away with it. But Judah says, if you pay me enough, I can get you Jesus and nobody will be the wiser. And you can execute him and deal with him. I can handle it. All the while in the backdrop, one writer said, the Jewish men had cleaned their homes, but they had not cleaned their hearts. And the religious leaders were executing the greatest religious observance with the most significance that's going on, all the while plotting the murder of the Son of God. Catch the backdrop. There's the Passover that's going on. There is unreasonable hate. Reasonable hope. Follow with me there. Again, we're just going to quickly go to verse 1. Let's <coughs> read which is called Passover, verse 2, and they sought how they might kill him. Sought how they might kill him. That's a long way from a political enemy. That is a long way from just, oh boy, I wish he would be quiet. That's a long way from trying to cancel someone, we would say today. They want him absolutely, positively 
dead. We mentioned last time that they have been plotting and hoping to do this, but they're nervous now because there's so many people, and it wasn't on their timetable, but what is absolutely on God's timetable. It was time for him to die. And so in the orchestration of the divine order of things, we're going to see something miraculous happen. But it's unreasonable hate. Notice where it's not coming from. It is not coming from the unreligious people. It is coming from the people who ought to absolutely know better. This warm, fuzzy, vanilla-flavored kind of Jesus that we present is not the Christ of Scripture. And it is not. It is not the straight-line shot. Jesus is born, does a couple of interesting things. These people have witnessed the miracles. These people have seen the folks that have been healed. They have seen the thousands that have been fed, and they are very well aware that he just was ushered into the country just days ago. Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings. There is an unimaginable amount of hate. Sometimes you ever, you ever get surprised when lost people... They're not just disagreeable. I mean, they're just full of hate. Anybody ever found that, found that to be shocking? And you say something, you'll say, well, you know, this is right or this is wrong. People just lose their ever-loving mind at you. That's not new. That's as old as Jesus walking on the face of the earth. There's a, reason why, there's a tragic betrayal. Look at verse 3. Satan enters into him. <clears throat> I spent a long time, uh, particularly this week, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to go all down that road. There are people who think that, that this just means he was, he was influenced by him. only problem with that is that Scripture goes out of his way to be absolutely clear. Two occasions, Satan and Judas are, are intertwined here. You see one of them here, you see the other actually in John 13, where Jesus looks at him and says, whatever you do, do quickly do quickly and so you have these two occurrences here in in scripture there's no other way to read this than he is possessed by satan himself not for the whole time but at least for this part of time that is here which leads us to conclude that you can be really really close to jesus and not know jesus you can you can travel as part of his 12 you can do all the kind of things the disciples never crossed their mind that judas was the one who was betraying you read all the accounts. They're looking at each other going, is it me? Is it you? And nobody casts an eye toward Judas. And by the way, he's in the position of honor at the Last Supper. And he enters into him. Our understanding, by the way, is that he said, that, yeah, that'll be fine. The very presence of Christ and then possessed by the, by the very angel of light, the, the dark one, himself, Lucifer, the prince of the power of the air. He was possessed. It fascinates me. Uh, again, eggs, candy, brightly colored clothes, family pictures, big meals, uh, you know, special, special desserts, all these kind of things. People will spend, churches will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to accurately portray some things. And one thing we always leave out is there are the moving forces of darkness in the background who all of a sudden come to the foreground. And we see that as this is an absolute attack. Satan desires to do what? To murder Jesus. And we see this as he orchestrates this. I, don't, I, don't, I have a hard time thinking demonic stuff. 
let me let me let me say it differently. I have a hard time thinking Halloween and and and, and goofy gory stuff and Easter. It just these things do not occupy the same space in my head. Nod your head if you're with me here. I mean, I'm not saying anything one way or the other about about uh, about uh, you know uh, being goofy at Halloween or something. I'm not, I'm not just saying. I, I don't think that. But that's exactly what's going on here. It is a murderous plot. It is worthy. It is it is, it is more devilish than anything you ever read in Macbeth. This is the inner, this is, this is the twelve, this is the position of honor, this is not a demon, this is, this is Satan himself, and he is so tempted. One said, one said he is a discouraged disciple, or excuse me, a discontent disciple, and all of a sudden he becomes, he becomes possessed. I think one of the most dangerous places to live in planet Earth is where you hold God in contempt because he did not fulfill what you thought he ought to do. I think some of the most dangerous real estate on planet Earth is to be in a place where you are holding God in contempt because he didn't do what you thought he ought to do. Because that's exactly where we find Judas. Why haven't you kicked these Romans out? Why haven't you done what we thought the Messiah was going to do? Why haven't you done this? And he cuts ties. He's going to get paid. Put it all behind him. Because Jesus did not fulfill what he thought he ought to fulfill. There's a tragic betrayal. Tragic betrayal. <coughs> there's, a, there's a fourth little scene here. Jesus is going to reach out. Jesus is going to reach out. Your Bible is open. Just go back with me or go over with me a few pages. Go to John 13. I want you to see this. John 13. You still with me? Anybody still with me? The three of you that are awake, say amen. All right, there you go. All right. John 13, go to verse 18. Jesus is going to reach out. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me have lifted up his heel against me. That's verse 18. Go to verse 21. John 13. Now when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified, said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you shall betray me. Do you catch it? You catch it? Hey. What do we call it when, when somebody like me is preaching or, or you're listening to something on the radio or whatever and, and you get stabbed in the heart? Well, yeah. C- conviction. Conviction. Or meddling. <laughs> right? You ever been there? You ever been there? Again, you know, overweight, bald guy preaching and sweating, and all of a sudden everybody fades away, and there's just a tunnel between you and the guy, and you're like, ah, he knows. He knows. You ever been there? You ever felt that? Anybody ever had a parent, grandparent, step-parent who could read minds, look at your face, knew you were guilty, started talking about things? And you're like, there's no way the school's had time to call yet. <laughs> read it like that again. One of you shall betray me. Repent, buddy. There's still time. Repent, buddy. Don't do this, Judas. Don't do this. He's reaching out. What is it about our human nature when somebody's trying to get us to do right? We push as hard as we can against them. We're going to take their phone call. We don't respond to their text. 
Some of you right now, you're trying to love people to Jesus, and they are just freezing you out. He's con- con- reaching out. Go to verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. They're eating this meal. They've got the bowl. They've got their bowl. They've got this unleavened bread. The whole thing is set up. It's beautiful. They're observing again this, 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 this paschal meal that is there. Jesus says, whoever I take to heal the crust of this bread and, and I put it into this, this gravy made from the lamb and I do this and, and I hand it off. It was the position of honor. It was the, this rich gesture that is here. It's, by the way, you get the same picture there when Boaz and Ruth are going through their things and he offers it to her. It is laden with significance. It is not to unmask Judas. It is one more time to say, I love you. Do not do this. After the sop, 27, Satan enters into him and said, Jesus, that thou doest do quickly. Say he unmasked him. They don't have a clue. Go to verse 28. No man at the table knew what intent he spake. Verse 29. Some of them thought because Judas had the bag, he's the treasurer, that he had to do what? He had to go finish getting preparations. They're in this borrowed room. They've had this meal. There's more to do at Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's provisions to be made. There's a big group of them. He's got to go do this. He's got to go administrate stuff. Jesus said, by the things we have need of, Nobody knows Jesus is kind. He lets him keep his dignity. He doesn't out him. Don't you think Peter? Peter's just about to go off. He's going to swing for Malchus's, the high priest, head, miss, get his ear. Don't you think they would have dogpiled Judas there in the upper room? He is completely below the radar. One more time, don't do this. Don't do this. By the way, can't you hear it? Don't cheat on your wife. Don't leave your husband. Don't take those drugs. Don't look at that porn. Don't you go meet with that person. Don't you go buy that beer. Don't you go to that party. Don't you use that language. Don't you do that. And nobody knows anything. It's you and the Spirit of God, and He is pushing and prodding and pulling and being kind to you and offering you the best piece at the party in the place of honor. Not for nothing. All the while he's been betrayed. He loves him persistently. He loves him persistently. It is interesting. It is interesting. John 13, 10. Jesus is going to do what? He's going to wash Peter's feet and John's feet. <coughs> he's going to wash Judas's feet. If I understand the portrait, again, you know, occasions we'll practice it here. People are typically in a chair, and you kind of, you're kind of eyed at the chest level if you're on your knees. For Jesus to do what he did, uh, again, uh, you know, Different, different, different groups do it different ways. They're reclining. Jesus is basically either on his side or on his belly. He might, he might be sitting cross-legged, but he's got his feet in his hands. But 
water and the towel. Jesus is getting messy doing this. Completely subservient. It's so beneath them, Gentiles wouldn't do it. The Lord of glory is doing it, and he is doing it to the one who's about to betray him. Another act of love. He persists. He pushes. He pushes. <coughs> Hughes. Hughes reminds us. Hughes reminds us. You can write this in your notes. You still with me? Write this. Write down Psalm 41.9. Psalm 41.9. Even my close friend whom I have trusted, he, he that has shared his bread against us uh, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus quotes here Psalm 41, verse 9. It is David's friend Ahithophel who betrays him. Cohen says, if there is any psalm that mirrors an incident in David's life, this faithless friend has to be Ahithophel. He describes, describes the lifting up of a horse's foot. Anyone who's ridden horses or even been around mules and things like that, there is an inviolable rule. You teach beginners and you remind others who, are, who do things on occasion, do not walk behind that animal. The sudden swiftness of a kick can break bones and an impact in your chest area will hit you with such concussive force as to stop your heart. If not, completely shatter your mediastinum. Do not do it. Read it again. The one whom I have dipped a sop with has lifted up his heel against me. You have with the swiftness of of a horse, or excuse me, with the strength of the back kick of a horse, have shattered my heart. Judas rejects him. Fascinatingly, after Ahithophel's betrayal, by the way, 2 Samuel 17, the Bible says he puts his house in order, and he goes outside, and he hangs himself which is exactly what Judas is about to do. Judas loves persistently, and then Judas rejects him. Judas rejects him. Satan enters into him. John 13, Jesus says, What you do, you do quickly. Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders took counsel against him. And when they had bound him, they led him away, delivered him to Pontius Pilate. Judas comes, gives him a kiss. They come surround him. They take him away. It's a farce. They don't need the armada. Jesus willingly surrenders. Verse 3, if you're, in Saul, if you're in Matthew 27, Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned. I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See you to it. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. There's the betrayal. There's some lessons. I may offer them in, in closing and quickly. Number one, when Satan is absolutely real, he seeks to destroy and divide. He's absolutely real. He seeks to destroy and divide. Let me be really careful here. I, <coughs> be really careful. Not any time somebody does self-harm means the Satan is involved. A, a does not equal B here. But any time Satan's involved, he's out for self-harm. He's out for death and destruction. Satan's never making you better. 
Satan's never promoting peace and harmony. He's never fulfilling on what he has promised to you. Anytime Satan is involved, you can be sure death and destruction and murder and chaos is there. Somebody says, I don't believe Satan's alive and well. Go to an inner city and watch what's going on. Go to a place like I did some years ago as I went and knocked on the door and the house next door had the tape that was up and the people were weeping and wailing inside and I asked what was going on. They said a five-year-old sitting on the edge of his bed watching cartoons. His mother calls to him and a drive-by came and they shot one another and they missed and went through the house and the boy went out into eternity and the mama doesn't know what she's going to do. Let me help you. That's just as demonic and devilish satanic as it can be death and destruction unbelievable horror of alcohol use and abuse and drug use and abuse the children who grow up scared and terrified he is real he seeks to divide and destroy I think the craziest thing we ever did was to laugh at the idea of Satan Instead of go, man, he is the real foe. And he hates Christ. He tempts Jesus. Now he comes and trying to destroy Jesus. We see that he is, he is absolutely real. Number two, the enemies thought they'd won. But then death was arrested, and my life began. They were glad. I don't, I don't, um, I, I, just, I just don't, I don't watch a lot of newer programming and things. But, uh, but I'll see the blurbs, or I'll see a, <coughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll watch an uh, introduction just so I can kind of stay up. Introduction, uh, yeah, uh, a teaser, whatever it's called. And, I, and I'm stunned, I'm stunned the number of things, man, where the whole point of the show is a bunch of bad people doing bad things, and then you basically got two bad groups, and in, in, in the program wants you to cheer for the le- least bad group of the other. People rejoice when people get murdered or killed or whatever. Uh, you know, these, uh, these mafia kind of shows. And, and people are like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, one of the most popular shows in the, in the previous decade, you know, uh, the Dexter show, you know, about cheering for a serial killer. What, what in the world, what in the world have we done with entertainment? Done with entertainment. Wait for it, wait for it. The religious people and Judas shook hands and they celebrated. It says they were glad because they had won. When you lose your shame over sin, you are in a bad place. But when you rejoice over wickedness, you are in a horrific, satanic place. They thought they had won. They had not. They had not. They thought they had picked the right time. What they didn't understand, they were on God's schedule. And it was exactly the time that Jesus had foreseen and and knew and caused to come about. As As these men were used by God, they thought, excuse me, used... (coughs) <coughs> used by, uh, to thwart Jesus' plans. Instead, they were exactly on time. Number three, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequences. You just can't. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. <coughs> See, what do you mean? Judas repents. Doesn't do him any good. Judas is sorry. Doesn't do him any good. He tries to unwind it. It doesn't do him any good. He goes to the religious people. Hey, help me. I have a spiritual need. And they say, you see to it. You choose your sin. You just cannot choose your consequences. R.G. Lee, the famous pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church so many years ago over there in Memphis, he said it, he said it like this. He said, when, <coughs> excuse me, he said, sin will 
take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. So it'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And when you're done with it, it's not done with you. Had dinner with a fellow some years back. He was talking about talking about his, his child, who was a heroin addict. And I said, I don't know much about it. I said, but we don't need to talk about it. He said, I don't mind. And he kept on going. I said, Well, is there this or there's that? He said, <coughs> He said, He said, less than twenty percent. He said, less than twenty percent ever stop using heroin once they become hooked. I said, That's crazy. He said, That's across the board statistic. He said, he said, let me help you. He said, depending on when they use it, he said, they're usually dead within 10 years. He said, my wife and I have been preparing for his funeral. I said, but there's hope. And I was trying to be really spiritual, and, and I was really caught off guard by the conversation. He said, he said, we can pray for, and we can pray for a miracle. He said, he said, but he doesn't get to, I said, he's no longer in control This is not a switch to flip. He's gone down a path that he probably not come back from, and his mother and I are prepared. You can choose your sin. By the way, by the way, and these were God-fearing people, and they loved Christ. They were just trying to get to reality. They prayed every day for a miracle. I don't mean to misrepresent this, because I believe God is greater than any addiction. Somebody say amen. And I believe the power of God. I believe I believe you be saved and changed instantaneously. But you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. You can't, sure can't choose how it works. Number four, Jesus embodied gospel love. He embodied gospel love. I give you this. Say, <coughs> so what do you mean? Romans 5, 6. Just the right time. When you and I were without strength, Jesus died for the ungodly. He loved the ungodly. Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10, when we were God's enemy, we were reconciled them through the death of his son. How much more being reconciled? We will be saved through his life. We were his enemies. Check the boxes. Judas is what? He was ungodly. Satan entered into him. He's a sinner, absolutely, positively. He aligned himself with the enemies of God. And what do we see in John 13 all throughout? Judas, 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 Judas. Okay, whatever you do, go do quickly. Get on with it. You've made your decision. Aren't you glad that the betrayed Savior loves the ungodly? If you were ever part of that group, would you say amen? Weren't you glad he loves sinners? Aren't you glad that he loves those who aligned against him as an enemy? He reaches out, and we see that displayed here. And it is the ultimate turn of events, one of the ultimate turn of events. Judas thought he was putting one over on Jesus, and the whole time Jesus is doing one. I know exactly what you're doing. You don't understand what you're doing. One of you is going to lift up against me. One of you is going to betray me. <coughs> All of you are, not all of you, all of you are clean except for one who is not. Conviction, 
conviction, conviction, conviction. And not, not for nothing. Right in his face, conviction. Why? Because the Savior loves the ungodly. He loves sinners. And he loves enemies. He can turn a rebel. Thank the Lord. He can turn a rebel's life around. He can turn somebody who's all confused about who God is ungodly. Give them exactly the right thinking. What is it? What is it in our lives today? By the way, if you've been betrayed, you feel the you felt the horse kick in the heart. And God can even heal that betrayal. He is the one who loves sinners. Jesus, on the road to Easter, we see his betrayal. Pray with me right now. Father. <coughs> <coughs> Lord, we love you. But Father, we need you this morning. Lord, I ask you to do right now in our lives, help us to pray for someone who's a rebel, someone who's in the midst of a sinful path and pattern, someone who thinks that they'll be the exception to the rule. But God, you're working in their heart, and you've put people like the folks in this room in their path to lovingly say to them, hey, you're not right. Hey, this isn't going to end well. Hey, when you think you're done with it, it won't be done with you. And oh, how I pray that you would, you would help. Help us. Help us to rejoice in the fact that even though Judas was betraying him, even though Jesus loved him and goes out of his way to bring conviction to his life, oh, I pray that you would help us.